title of today's message is He Prayed for Us. And we're going to be studying the last part of the uh, Upper Room Discourse. In May of 1996, 17 people walked into a classroom to take their state test to qualify for a paramedic license. It had been almost a year since they had begun to process that got them to this point. We had almost 2,000 hours of classroom instruction, hundreds of hours of ride time and clinical training at the hospital, and now we, it was a moment of truth. We had to go and prove to the state of Wisconsin that we could operate in the back of an ambulance when somebody's life was at stake. At the end of the day, everybody passed their test, and before we all left to our individual celebrations, our lead instructor brought us back into the classroom for a couple of final words. He told us, congratulations on passing your test. He knew we'd all, he said that you all make excellent paramedics. He said he had one final piece of advice for us. He said paramedic school wasn't about just being able to put a patch on your arm that said paramedic or a license in your wallet. He said this last year wasn't just about teaching you how to pass a test. He said this last year was preparing you to be the person that stands between your future patients and death. He said, remember that awesome privilege you have earned and that heavy responsibility that you now bear. And that was our chief instructor's last teaching to us. Today we're going to be discussing Jesus' last teaching to his beloved disciples. John chapter 17 is the end of the Upper Room Discourse, and this chapter of the Bible has its own special designation. Chapter 17 is known as Jesus' high priestly prayer, the prayer that he gives to his disciples as um, both a blessing and as an exhortation to what he's going to expect of them once he goes to the cross. Now, if you stop and think about what is going through Jesus' minds right now, he knows he's walking toward Gethsemane. He knows he's going to be wrestling in prayer, wrestling with his human flesh, wrestling against the temptations of the devil, wrestling about having to go to the cross. And right on the other side of that, he knows that Judas is already on the way, bringing the guards that will lead him eventually to the cross. Jesus doesn't pull out a motivational book for his disciples. He doesn't psych himself up and for what he is about to go through. But what he does is very telling, is that he stops and gathers his friends around him to pray. And that is very significant for us this morning. So this morning we're going to look at this prayer. What we're going to learn from it is how we can pray for ourselves, how we can pray for our friends, our loved ones, and our families. And finally, even pray for those who don't know Jesus yet. But I do want to make one point before we begin this morning. This entire message assumes that you are a person who prays. If you're not a person who, pray, who prays, it's not going to make a lot of sense to you. So I would hope right now, I would hope that you get this one point right now is that you need to be a person of prayer. We are living in a day where you cannot afford to be a lazy Christian. You cannot afford to just hope that everything is going to be okay. You need to be a person of prayer. And I preach this at myself as much as I preach it at you. We need to commit ourselves to prayer in these last days. 
I'm not talking about just praying over your meal or whispering some short sentence as you go to sleep. I'm talking about being committed to spending quality time with God. Bible reading, talking to him, just sitting in his presence. It's going to be critical in these last days. So this whole message this morning is going to be instructional on how to make the most of this time with God. So let's ask God's blessing and prayer before we begin. Father God, I just ask, Father, that you would just place within us first the importance of spending time with you in prayer, spending time with you in Bible study, and just simply spending time in your presence. Father God, it is going to be so critical in these last days because we are bombarded with social media. We're bombarded with 24-7 news. We're bombarded with information that makes us or gives us anxiety and makes us afraid. That is why it is critical for us to spend time with you. Not only just to give us perspective, but to let your spirit give us that salt, that soothing balm over our spirits, and to give us the peace of God that transcends all understanding. Father God, I ask, Lord, that you take this message and use it to instruct us and show us how you would have us organize our time of prayer with you, so that we may live before this world in a way that shows others the benefits of following Jesus Christ. Lord, I ask this in your name. Amen. So whenever you bring up Jesus to somebody in a topic of conversation, most often we talk about what he has done for us. And specifically, we talk about him dying for our sins and the necessity of giving our lives to him. Because we want that to impart upon this person that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. It is our, our goal in life to, to make Jesus famous when we talk about them. And all of that is good news. All of that is things that we should be doing. All of that is, is, is things that we should be focused on when we talk to other people, especially when we talk to them about Jesus. However, when we look at the life of Jesus and what he was focused on, we see a common theme throughout all the Gospels. The Gospels speak of his miracles, definitely. They record his words of wisdom and truth to us. And then we see a glimpse into his personality. But the one thing sometimes that we miss is how much Jesus spent time in prayer. Throughout the Gospel, he would say, before he would do something huge and awesome, he would go to prayer. After he did something huge and awesome, performed a miracle, he said he would be off to pray. After, or before or after he would preach to people, he would go off into the wilderness and pray. Jesus didn't do anything without spending a considerable time in prayer. A few examples. He spent 40 days and nights preparing before confronting Satan and starting his earthly ministry. He prayed before he fed the 5,000. He prayed before he let, uh, told Lazarus to rise from the dead. Jesus felt so, or felt prayer was so important that he gave his top three leaders, uh, Peter, James, and John, a glimpse into his prayer life on the Mount of Transfiguration. And many books have been written about the prayer lives of saints who have gone before us. Mighty men and women of God who absolutely we should read about, we should emulate, and we should allow it to encourage us. But how much more should we look to the author and the perfecter of our faith Amen. to see how he prayed? 
So this morning we're going to start out by looking at how Jesus prayed for himself to see how we should pray for ourselves. Jesus prays for himself in John 17 in two very distinct and yet very profound ways that are instructional to us this morning. And the first way is found in verse 1 of John chapter 17 when he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. And many of you are maybe thinking this morning that asking God to glorify us is taking something away from him or taking something away from Jesus. But let's look at what that word glorify means. In the Greek language, the word to glorify means to positively recognize or esteem one's character, nature, or attributes. And most of us would look at ourselves, and if, if we're honest with ourselves, you say there's not much in there that's worthy of glory. And I would say you're, pro- you're absolutely right if you're only looking at yourself for who you are as a human being, apart from Jesus. However, if you've made him Lord and Savior and you're born again, your spirit has been renewed, and it is day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, being conformed into the likeness of Jesus. The Bible says that you have not been reborn of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed. And therefore, the same spirit that rested in Jesus Christ now rests in you. And when I was wrestling in prayer about how to present this to you this morning, the Holy Spirit gave me a thought. He's told me that the finest, most treasured glory that we can give God is a life that is yielded to Him. Think about that. The finest and most treasured glory you can give to God is you yielding your life to Him in every way you can. Think about this for a moment. God loves you so much. Your Father loves you so much. He would give away this entire universe with all of its majesty and riches that it contains if it meant that you would live a life of faith and trust in Him. And how do I know that? Because He gave us His Son. And Jesus Christ is worth more than a million universes. So by asking God to glorify you so you may glorify Him is an incredibly personal and intimate way of expressing your love for God. In practical terms, it's saying, God, I don't have much to give. But what I have, I give up. And I know you can take whatever I give up and endow it with your power. And I can cause a mountain to be lifted up and move to the opposite side of the planet if you bless whatever I have to give you. May you receive the glory that you are due, God, through my life. The second way we can pray for ourselves is found in verse 5. Jesus said, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Jesus is referring to the fact that before creation, before God said, let there be light, he always existed in perfect unity with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. But what he is also referring to is that God had had a plan from the beginning of creation for exactly how Jesus was going to be used in the plan of salvation. Do you know that Jesus and God has that same kind of plan for you and me? Most of us doubt that God can do anything special with us. We say we don't have anything to give Him. We see ourselves as nothing special. 
If that's you today, I have some good news for you. You're not the first person to believe that. One of the most famous prophets who wrote one of the longest books in the Bible is named Jeremiah. When you read his book, you'll find that he was always dealing with self-doubt. He was always weeping before God, thinking he was unworthy. You see through his prophecies, you see it through the narrative parts of his book, and you even see it toward the end of his life. Yet despite all of that, God still called him to be a prophet. He still used him in mighty ways. When God called him to the ministry, he told Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 1 verse 5, he said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I had a plan, Jeremiah, and now you are fulfilling that plan. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Isn't that incredible that God can use us, no matter with all of our faults and our, our hiccups and everything that comes with us, he can still use us? God looked forward and saw this young man that was willing to be used by him. With all of the junk that came with Jeremiah, God still used him to preach to a world that was largely ignoring the God of the Bible at that time. And you know what? God is no respecter of persons. What I mean by that is that God does not play favorites. The truth we see in Jeremiah's life can be applied to our lives. God's calling you just as he did to Jeremiah. He's calling you to a specific place during a specific time. And that time is right now. If you're still breathing God's good air, then that calling remains active in your life. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter the way you've lived. He is still calling. The Bible says that God's gifts and calls are irrevocable. And he still wants to use you. So when you're asking or wondering how you should pray for yourself, it boils down to this. God, may you get all the glory you can from my trust in you, my obedience to the calling you've placed on my life, and my faith in you while I live on this earth. That's how we should be praying for ourselves, that Jesus be glorified through our lives. The second thing we see from Jesus' high priestly prayer is how we pray for family and friends and people that we love. After praying for himself, Jesus also gives us some practical ways that we can pray for those that we love and three different ways that we can pray for those we care about. The first one is that God will see us or we will see God as our source and they will see God as their source. Verse 7 of John chapter 17 says, Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. God is our source. I go to school early on, on Thursdays and I spend a few hours studying because we almost always have a some type of test that night. But during the last 30 minutes, I close up the books and I walk over by the classroom. There's a little sitting area, and I just go over there and I just relax, close my eyes, let my brain process everything I've just read before I take my test. And this last week, my instructor saw me there and he sat down to talk. My instructor is a Christian. He works actually as a, a sound guy in his Assembly of God church. And he's been at the, on the board of that church and other churches for a long time. And part of the, his job now is he's on the financial committee. And he oversees the giving in the congregation. He told me that every church he has belonged to, he sees the same pattern. 
He said 90% of the church funds come in through 10% of the people. I thought that was an interesting statistic because I never really, I have no idea, if anybody wonders, I have no idea how much everybody gives here, and I do that on purpose. But he tells me he's not sure why that happens or how people think their church stays open and is able to pay their bills, that God supernaturally does it, but God, um, God trusts in his people to do that job. And I said it's probably one of many factors, but it probably boils down to one. And that I've seen in my, in my experience. And I see it sometimes even in my own life. Is that the people that don't give, don't acknowledge, or even worse, don't trust God as their source. They don't believe that he will supply for their needs. Let me illustrate this a little further by asking a question. How many people here struggle with worrying about things? I know who you are, so you might as well raise your hand. <laughs> Let me do a little teaching here about worry. Worry stems from a lack of trust. That's what worry is. It stems from a lack of trust. I know it's a very hard pill for us to swallow, but really what worry is is a lack of faith and trust. And Jesus said this about worry. Who can, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? The answer is no one. Worry isn't, doesn't do you any good. And if you think about the physical and mental effects of worry, it's actually the exact opposite. Your worry causes you to live a shorter life and a life that is filled with fear, doubt, and unbelief. One more thing to worry about, I guess. You're worrying, about too, you're worrying too much, right? Do you want to stop worrying? Pray. Pray. Anytime worry starts kicking into your mind, pray. Amen. You know, worry comes from the enemy. And the worst thing you can do to the enemy is show faith in the midst of your worry. You want to slap the devil in the face? When he starts plaguing your mind about worry... Pray about it. Say, you know what, devil, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know where that, that money's going to come from. I don't know what's going to happen to my loved one who's sick. But you know what, I trust God. And I'm going to express that trust in God right now through prayer. You want to, you want to, you want to kill worry in your life from the outside? Pray. Worry is Satan's way of destroying your faith. And prayer is God's way of focusing you on Him and what He can do for you. And that very thought should permeate your prayer for others, and especially for those you love the most. Your prayer should be a cry of your heart that the person you're praying for will see God as their one and only source of everything in life worth having. The second way we can pray for others we love is that they live lives that glorify God. Verse 10 of John chapter 17 says this, Jesus said, All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And, the, and glory has come to me through them. I won't spend a ton of time here because we've already talked about this in the front part of the message, but it does bear repeating. I'm going to stop here and just ask you to close your eyes for a moment and think about the person you love most in your, this life then ask yourself, what would bring that person the greatest joy 
are the greatest fulfillment and the greatest reward in life? And now let me give you the answer. The greatest fulfillment, joy, and reward would be for them to live a life that glorifies God and sees His kingdom expand on this earth. Often we take prayer requests when we, and we focus on specific things for people. and There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it is proper and good that we do it. But really what we should be praying is that no, is that no matter what happens in any earthly situations, that they would glorify God with whatever they're going through right now. The third thing we can pray for others for is for their protection. Jesus said in verse 11, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. The name that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name that you gave me. Skipping down to verse 15, he said, My prayer is not that you take them out of this world, but that you protect them from the evil one. I know I don't talk a lot about spiritual warfare in this church. I hesitate to dwell on it because it, it can develop an unhealthy focus or fascination with the kingdom of darkness. And my former pastor, Pastor Ron, his favorite saying about this is that the fear of the devil is lost in the wonder of the Lord. Focus on Jesus and you have no fear of the devil. But saying that, there's also a reality that we should talk about this moment, and that reality is we're at war. That's right. There's a real kingdom out there, and that kingdom's sole f- focus is to destroy you in every way that it can. Satan is very real. His demons are real. And that spiritual condition of evil is very real in our world today. But the good news is, is that Jesus has already overcome the world. He has already put that under his feet. And by trusting in him, it is now under our feet as well. We participate in that overcoming by trusting Jesus and spending time alone with him in prayer so that it keeps us focused on him. That was Jesus' first priority on earth was prayer. And in the early church, prayer was also their first priorities. And you know what? You see the results of that. The results of that are sitting right next to you. Result of their focus on prayer in the first century led to you sitting where you're sitting right now, listening to this sermon. You see the power of their prayer in the book of Acts. And many peace place or many cases all they had to do was show up and demons would run away screaming because all they could see in these people's lives was the power of God shining through them and that's how you overcome the forces of darkness you don't have to name and claim demons you don't have to like fight them on your own all you have to do is just simply be endowed with the power of Jesus from on high through living a life that is pleasing to Him. The weapons you fight with are not carnal, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. You don't have to spend hours and hours like a soldier of this world learning how to use a weapon, learning how to to move in battle formations or, or understand warfare. The only thing you have to do is trust in Jesus and let Him fight your battles. 
All we do is stand, lift our hands and worship, and say, Jesus, we trust you, and pray until something happens. Jesus prayed for us in these three ways. God is our source, that we live lives that glorify him, and that he protect us from the evil one. The three ways that Jesus prays for us shows us how we can pray for our loved ones. And there's a final thing, though, that Jesus wants us to pray about, is that is how to pray for others. In the last part of the high priestly prayer, he prays for the people that will come to know him through his words and his life being lived in our lives. And the motivation for that prayer is found in verse 24, when Jesus said, Father, I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you have loved me before the creation of the world. Everything Jesus did for us had one sole purpose, and that was to save us and save you and me and everyone from an eternity in hell so that we could have spent an eternity with him in heaven. And that's why he ends his prayer with this thought, in verse 20, when he said that my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. You know, this last week I had to help one of our charge nurses do a mental health assessment in some of our patient rooms. reason is because there's a, a company called the Joint Commission that certifies hospitals as being compliant with federal gu guidelines. And one of the things that we have to do is make sure that our rooms are compliant um, for mental health patients so that there's nothing in there they can harm themselves with. And as you would imagine, a hospital room contains tons of stuff that a person could use to harm themselves or others if they're, if they're not quite thinking correctly. And as we were going through the rooms, someone found a Gideon Bible in one of the drawers. And they said, man, somebody could like take this and hit somebody with it or throw it at them. And man, this Bible is actually pretty dangerous. I said, you have no idea. <laughs> and they kind of rolled their eyes because they knew what I meant. But it's the truth. They're right. The word of God can be incredibly dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. What does the Bible say about itself? It says that the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates the dividing of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. When we pray for those who don't know Jesus Christ, we should be praying the truth of the Bible into their spirit. Say, God, convict them. God, this is what your word says, and this is how they're living. They're living in rebellion. They're living in stubbornness. God, please just break their hearts so that they can come and know you. Remove the, the scales from their eyes so they can see the wonder of the Lord. And we see this whole idea in the the. Um, parable of the seeds and the ground in Mark chapter 4 and how important it is that the soil of their hearts be prepared to receive that word. And we do this through prayer. God, soften their hearts. God, do whatever it takes to create a condition within them that when the word of God gets spoken to them, that seed is able to take root and grow and produce a harvest for your glory, Lord. That should be how we pray for those outside of the kingdom of God. Finally, I'm going to close today with this. There's one final prayer 
that Jesus had. It's been said that it is his only unanswered prayer on earth. And this prayer should be a priority in our lives, and it should be a priority in our prayer closet. And it's found in verse 22 of John chapter 17. Jesus said, I have given them the glory that you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought into complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. There's nothing that destroys churches, a church's effectiveness in a community than disunity. When we look worse in here than they do out here, why would they ever want to come in? I'm not saying it's necessarily a problem in this church. It's just sometimes you need a refresher course. I know I do. Just like paramedics have to go and sit in a classroom sometimes to refresh what they already know. It's the same thing with the Bible and, and the things of God. We need to be a unified church. One family of God here. It doesn't mean we're necessarily always going to agree, but it means that things that happen within the church stay within the church. The message of the gospel and of Jesus is tested by our actions and the words as we interact with the people around us especially those in the world. So I just ask that you remember that when we speak of each other and of our church family. Those are just a few thoughts. It's my hope and prayer and my heart for this church family is that Jesus' final prayer for us will be realized among us, that we will be one as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one. Because if we are existing in unity, no force of hell can stand against us. Amen? Let's all stand. Father God, I thank you, Lord. I know this is a challenging message for some, but I ask, Father, that the truth of your word will penetrate through any objection, penetrate through any any rebellion or any hurt that might be existing within our, own, within our own spirits. And I ask, Father, that you would help us to be a people who prayed. It's, notice, it's notable, Lord, that the last thing you did with your disciples as a group was pray. Father, let prayer be the first thing we do in the morning and the last thing we do at night and the thing we do in the middle of the day when we're frustrated. Father God, let prayer be our very source of power, of faith, of love, of joy. And the first thing we run to, Lord, instead of the last resort, as many of us treat it. Father God, I ask, Lord, that you just make us a people of prayer this morning. So that we may see Jesus Christ formed and shaped into everyone's lives here. So when people see us, they say, I need what you have. Lord God, I just bless your people this morning. I thank you for their faithfulness and coming to church this morning. And I ask, Lord, that you help them to live lives that shine Jesus to this community this week. Father God, I bless them now in Jesus' name. Amen.